if you're a founder, if you're a CEO, if you're an internal manager, if you're anyone that's touching the world of startups, you have to listen to this episode. You know, there's not a lot of, let me rephrase this. There's not enough, not a lot of, not enough, probably the same thing, but there's not enough content out here talking about operations at the startup level. What the word operations even means, what the word COO means at a startup What are they working on day to day? What should they be thinking about? How do they make decisions? There's not a lot of content out there about this. And today's guest is going to break down everything you need to know about operations. And you know, this really turns into kind of like a my first million, you know, brainstorming, problem solving, just really creative conversation that I really, really, really appreciated. And uh, you guys have a chance to listen to it. So if you're a startup, you're a founder, if you're anyone touching the world of startups and you care about operations, you care about, you care about building a productive business, you care about finances, you care about partnership design, you care about putting employees first, you care about running a successful, productive business overall, you will definitely enjoy this episode. So thank you to today's guest and thank you to everyone that's listened to and downloaded the uh, the E1B2 Collective podcast. And so without me going into any more rants, I'm going to bring you guys yet another episode of Let's Talk Startups. Thanks a lot. So, hey, John, I really appreciate you coming on to this podcast here. Um, I've always told people this, you know, when I when I started the podcast, I wasn't um, I wasn't uh, I wasn't too sure or what I wanted to do with it and what I wanted to make of it. But um, it's turned into something interesting. And I'm always grateful for individuals deciding to join. So thank you for joining this podcast. And um Please do me a, a solid and, and do the listeners a solid and tell everyone, uh, you know, who you are, where you from, where you're from and, and just what you're about. Because I know um, I know there's a lot of a lot of things happening in your your part of the world here. Yeah, thank you for having me and happy to be here this morning. And my name is John Coyle. Uh, I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm originally from here as well. And my world consists of operations. And what I mean by that is anything behind the scenes. Uh, it's unsexy or if it needs done, uh, I'm the guy to do it. And usually I work alongside young companies or small businesses that have, you know, anywhere from 1 million to 10 million annual revenue. And I also work with startups to help their, help them get their ideas off the ground. That was great and succinct. Have you, how long have you practiced that? Uh, not much really. I've, <laughs> I've gotten to the point where I've gone to enough events or networking events or uh, speaker series where, you know, when someone asks you what you do, you, you have to be pretty quick. So mm-hmm. I have a few select or canned answers and uh, I just kind of riff off of them and put them together as fast as possible. So my first question is this. Um, I know when we, we chatted for a bit, we were discussing in-person versus um, for versus online and, and, and networking and building relationships. And for me, um, my very first business at 19 was an offline business. But after that, so I guess it would be 21 since from 21 till now, so pretty much going on uh, 10 full years, my network and my relationships and just what I've done in business has really been scattered across the world. Um, I really kind of adapted to um, not just social media, but just online presence and online networking pretty quickly and pretty early on. Um, and I remember kind of talking to you that there was, and correct me if I'm wrong here, because I actually appreciated the fact that you said this, 
that you appreciate the in-person dynamic. And, and you know, when you said that, is, is there a level of, I don't want to use the word uncomfortability, but how are you feeling with the online versus offline? And, and how, how have you been navigating that? What, what are you feeling? What are, what are you doing? How has it impacted your business? Yeah, when we talked earlier, I, I fully stand behind the fact that when you meet somebody in person or you have the chance to talk to them face to face, there's nothing quite like it. And whether you're not, whether or not you enjoy networking or whether or not you you want to expand your 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 social circles, doing it in person is night and day compared to doing the last 12, 14 months of Zoom or Google Hangouts or anything like that. Um, so for me, you know, I, I would prefer everything in person, but obviously that isn't the case. And in the last year or so, I've been, you know, trying to find different ways to continue to the network network expansion, but I just don't think it's the same. Um, I've been using lunch club, which is pretty popular, uh, or I've been kind of cold outreaching on LinkedIn, but there's not that emotional charge that you often feel or see uh, when you're able to talk to someone uh, directly. Mm. So I know this is one of the, I don't want to use the word challenge, but I know this is something that you've been trying to navigate. So um, like I told you before we, we chatted, you know, the way I do these podcasts, I really like to kind of break it up and, and kind of get really, um, really in depth and ad hoc and, and try to solve problems literally right here on the spot. So um, throw me a question. Like, what are you thinking? Like, what's, what's something maybe I can answer for you since I've kind of, you know, navigated these waters for a while here. And, and, I, and I'll tell you, it's not that I don't agree, um, because I do agree. I do agree that there's definitely a different dynamic when you talk to someone um, in person. There's definitely a different dynamic, a different energy. Like, that's actually literally just how science actually works, right? Uh, there's vibrations and there's things that occur when you see someone in person, when you can interact that way. Um, but I have managed to build really substantial relationships without ever meeting someone. And, and, and there's definitely some tactics and tools that I use to do that. So, you know, maybe in real time here, what can I answer for you? How can we maybe, you know, ad hoc right now, try to try to make that a little bit easier for you. So, yeah, I'll throw out a challenge for you. So one of the things you find, at least I find in in-person as well, is that there's a lot of time being wasted with select chit chat and, maybe people you don't vibe with, when you translate that to a digital presence, how are you finding or what ways are you using to eliminate some of that wasted time? Maybe it's not, mm. maybe you quickly find that a conversation isn't going anywhere or you quickly realize that this person just isn't a fit for your social circles or business circles. So how are you measuring and in what ways are you tackling uh, the, the fact that you're eliminating wasted networking time. Without name dropping, give me a, give me a tangible kind of case study that you felt that you were, cause I want to, I want to kind of pinpoint an example cause I have some thoughts on this, but I want to dive down at, at a deeper level without disclosing any examples that would call that person out directly, obviously in a name. Give me, give me an example. Sure. So if anybody's familiar with lunch club, it's a platform where you set a time uh, there is an automatic partnering system and you get partnered with somebody either across the United States or across the world. And mm. these generally range from 30 minutes to 45 minutes. 
And sometimes the match is a dud. The, the, the person isn't, you know, someone you want to, you quickly realize you don't want to talk to, or you don't really share the same opinions on. So in that case, let's say you get matched up with somebody that just isn't a fit. Um, mm. It doesn't matter who they are or where they are, but how do you, how do you tackle I, that? I see. So, so I don't have a great answer for you, but I have a great perspective on it. Um, I, um, so I've never been, a, it's called lunch club, right? Yes. So I've never been a part of lunch club personally. Um, I've, I've heard of it. I've heard decent things. Um, so for me, I'm all about being super, super, super intentional. And all of my partners and people that I work with, they're always so fascinated by my, my intentional approach and how I handle things. So, and, and I've told you this when I first met you, maybe even let's use, you know, uh, you know, me and you as an example, um, when I reached out to you, I reached out to anyone, you're on a list of individuals that I have thoughtfully crafted, right? Now, what I mean by that is I've looked through your LinkedIn. I've at times followed you a bit. I've listened to you in other podcasts. I've seen you in other circles. I have a very intentional reason of interacting with you. Um, and if you look at my LinkedIn, I think I may maybe have 2,000 connections, if that. I mean, there's people that have 50,000 connections. And if you look at the difference between a 50,000 connection and a 2,000 connection, what that means is every single person that I've reached out to has been super intentional, super thoughtful, and I knew exactly to the T what I potentially could do for them and what they could definitely do for me. And I said potentially for them because I don't have the context, but I have my context. I know for a fact what they can do for me. And so for me, um, you know, what I think of Lunch Club, you know, for me, when I think of that, it seems as though there's a, there's a random occurrence dynamic to it that can be a little bit awkward probably right like right it's the second you link up with someone it wasn't intentional you have no idea of their background you have no idea exactly what their perspectives are previously you have no idea of researching anything they're doing um and so let me ask you this off of that concept i just gave you how much time and energy are you spending there versus other intentional navigations of building connection like is that your main source no, I, I played around with it for probably around six months and okay. I got pretty heavy into it, like heavy meaning three, four connections a week. So I ran that for a few weeks. And then afterwards mm. I decided to dial it back and look towards other methods. And to your point, I think you brought up a, the key factor in trying to expand your network in the, in this digital only format is that you have a chance to do your homework and you have a chance yeah. to do some research where you can pretty much understand if this is going to be a good fit or not. I mean, you're never going to hit the bullseye hundred percent of the time, but if you can get it 70% up, uh, I think you're going to have a, a much better chance of making meaningful connections that way. Indeed. And you can walk into the, the conversation intentional. And so um, I guess my first response to that would be uh, I personally would taper back on, 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 on lunch club personally. Um, I think, you know, me and you are playing in similar circles, number one. That's why we wanted, I wanted to chat and why I'm hoping that we can continue to do business in the future. Um, and so when you're playing in those similar circles, meaning you're trying to impact startups, small businesses, et cetera, I believe you have to be super intentional by navigating those waters and getting in touch with people. Um, so I would personally taper back on Lunch Club and I would spend probably, oh man, I probably would spend 85 to 90% of my energy on Twitter and LinkedIn um now let me ask you this 
when you are doing outreach on LinkedIn, how are you going about it? Like when, what's, what's an intentional version for you? It's usually based off of keyword search or select profiles that could be mm -hmm. via geographic location or a specific title the person holds. Uh, I usually kind of start there and dive into their profile and try to understand what's appealing to me. What could we talk about? How can I bring value to them? And so I just start hopping around and seeing uh, how many profiles I can visit and making a short list of who to connect to. And, and, how, and how, is, how does that work? How has that been going versus Lunch, lunch Club? It's much, much better, especially when you take the time to customize any sort of inbound messages or just give yourself enough time to pause. And let's say you build a short list of 10, 15 people, sleep on that list and then visit it mm -hmm. the next day. Do these people, um, I should say, are these people the same people that you saw yesterday? Do you see them in a different light? Why or why not? And um, from that point on, you know, you're free to, to connect with them and, and try to make that new connection uh, how you see fit. And can I, and mistake me if I'm wrong, do you have a podcast internally for your business? I do not. So here's one trick that you're in the middle of right now. <laughs> it's not even a trick to you anymore, but uh, it, it, I don't want to call it a trick because that seems so, you know, that seems so nasty and wrong to say because it's not a trick to me, but some people look at it as a trick. All of my, all of my co-founders and partners always joke with me and say this. Um, I started the podcast for two main reasons. Number one, my perspective on employee experience in the world of work uh, tends to be a bit out of the box at times. And so for me, I wanted to utilize content marketing to change, to change the narrative and change the conversation, right? That takes a long time, but that was one of the reasons I wanted to do it, right? Educate the market, change the perspective. Um, and I also wanted to learn, right? Bring interesting people on and, and learn from them. The main reason though, if I'm being very frank with you, when you're doing this outreach, right? And I don't know how this has successfully panned out to generate and connect towards like legitimate business. And when I mean business, I mean two things, dollars in the bank or introductions leading to other things or legitimate, legitimate, legitimate integrated partnerships. Those are the three areas that I play in. Um, and to your point, John, you know, I don't play in the let's just talk and talk and talk and kind of dance around thing, right? Like I believe that at times can be appropriate in a real world setting of a networking moment. But if we're online here, this is where I fit, right? Like I, I love to connect with people meet with people and I love to make new friends. But if I'm coming to you on LinkedIn, I wanna be your friend slash, right? Like slash, there needs to be some legitimate things that can occur. Or if you wanna just be friends and obviously we can maybe figure out that dynamic in just that area and that can work. And so when I say all of that, why I started the, the podcast, why I'm recommending you, John, to potentially think about something like that. It could be a podcast. You're, you were once in the media business. It could be a blog. When you reach out to individuals on LinkedIn, and if you have a podcast or you have a blog, a platform where people can contribute to information, where people can have a platform like this, where they now can record content, extract that content off of your platform, chop it up, do whatever they want with it and use it for other mediums and use it for other moments in media content. Now you have an excuse for them to actually interact with you. Now you have a legitimate value add reason for them to be 
in your presence. And then you just have an opportunity to do like what we did on our phone call. And hopefully what I continue to do with you now over the next 40 minutes or so is just build a relationship, gain some emotional glue, gain some context, really get to know each other. And then you get a chance to actually navigate those intentional business waters because you've added value from them from day one. Um, instead of, and I'm sure you felt this at times, instead of going at them cold where they already know you want something from them and you may be able to add something to them as well, but it's business legitimate first without an exchange of value up front. Um, do, you have a, do you have an opinion on that or is that interesting to you or not interesting or what are your thoughts on that? I agree. Um, I think the best uh, icebreaker out there is media. Obviously, I, I ran a news website for five yeah. years. And so the biggest value add there is understanding who could be a, a future topic in, in terms of the next article. So it's it's always a, a always a chance of, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Uh, I would like to feature you in X, Y, and Z. And a lot of people are much more receptive as to, opposed to Oh, I'm just John from Pittsburgh and let's connect for no apparent reason. Yeah, I would recommend, I, I almost like, I'm not as comfortable yet to say what I really want to say because I, I, I attempt at times to be a, I'm a little bit of a character with the jokes here. But uh, what I will say respectfully is I, I almost want to force you to do it. <laughs> like uh, I joke with my friend and say, I'm going to drive to your house and like, I'm not going to make that extreme joke, but I do. I, I really want you to do this, John, because I think whether it's, you, st you already play the media business. You know this game. Nowadays, though, the podcast is so easy. Look, look at this. It took, what, 45 seconds, a little bit of a fumbling in the beginning to get you in a Zoom recording. I'm going to extract the audio. I'm going to put it on Anchor. It's going to go to every major platform in seconds, and it's going to be available. And you can create a nice little, you know, clip art on, on Canva, and, and there you go. And so um, I, I genuinely believe in it. Um, the last bit of advice that I would give, and then let's shift to some other things. Um, if you decide to start a blog again, um, just for this reason only, and that's the thing, John, don't put pressure on yourself. I tell this to all of my partners now that have taken me up on this advice. Do not put pressure on yourself to be a media company from a metric perspective, John. I, I have the, I have the, I get between six to 12 and it does range based off of whatever's happening. And that's a weird thing, but I get, the, I get between six to 12 uh, unique downloads a month, right? Now, in this little pocket of the world we're playing, that's somewhat respectable, right? Um, it's none of that is intentional. I don't care about those metrics. I don't live and die by those metrics. I don't push those metrics. You, don't, you barely ever see me market the podcast on my LinkedIn. You barely ever hear me talk about it anywhere because every single person, John, has been intentional because I want to do business with them. And so the difference between what you did in your previous career, John, when you were a media company, everything was based around your media. You needed to have those metrics to make money. Here's the difference though, for you, you're just having the media company just to be able to get access to relationships. And so don't put pressure on yourself to have these phenomenal metrics. You're not a speaker. You're not a podcaster. This isn't professional media for you. This is an opportunity for you to build really substantial relationships, find opportunities that are intentional for your business, and then, and then off you go. Um, so I don't know if you have a thought on that, but I, I really, 
I kind of really, really, really want you to do it. And, and I'll even raise my hand here. I'm always looking to start new podcasts with individuals. So I'd even be willing to co-host something with you to, and try it out if you want. Yeah, I hear you loud and clear. And, and especially with what you said, I don't disagree with any of it um, based off of my experiences and how I've leveraged other media assets or projects before uh, makes complete sense. A hundred percent. So let's go here. Um, operations, right? So we both play in the startup space. What are some key operational elements? So when you say, you know, I'll, I'm a fractional COO for a startup, or when you say I will conduct operational, you know, uh, initiatives on, on the behalf of a startup at the early stage, mid stage, whatever it's going to be. G- give me, give me a, give me some bullet points. What do you really mean when you say that? Because a lot of people think when they hear operations, they think certain things and I just want to maybe educate the world about what what actual operations are or or what your version is because at the end of the day there may be certain aspects of operations that you're better at than others sure when I talk about operations and if we're speaking about a young company let's say a startup that's under a year old maybe two years old I, I talk about it in the sense where if there is something to be managed or if there is something to be scaled it's within my wheelhouse. And my primary goal within the first couple of years of working with a company, whether a startup or small business, is to take tasks and take responsibilities off the CEO's plate so that they can focus on larger challenges and larger issues. Uh, I think we're seeing so many uh, examples of people being put into operations just because they don't know where else to put them. And I I think that's the, the wrong way to approach it. Mm. Um, so to give an example in that first couple of years, uh, in terms of operations, I manage all the relationships. I manage all the finances. So the COO and the CFO, a quote unquote role is merged into one. I'll take care of all the bookkeeping. I'll, uh, do all the investor updates if they've raised outside capital on a quarterly basis. So anything that isn't really related to product or service vision, um, it will fall within my plate. And even beyond that, you know, I can blend into partially sales or I can blend into marketing, given the fact that my undergraduate degree is in design. Um, it, it really comes down to what kind of tasks the CEO or the leadership group is doing and how many of those tasks can I take off their plate? What's what's most interesting to you? Like, and, and when I mean that, so so with my company, Startup BX, what I've been really trying to boil down and I've been working really hard at it is, you know, I, I have the luxury to have, right now we're a team of seven, we're probably gonna grow a team of 10 here soon. Um, and so I'm like, okay, what do I personally only want to focus on as a tangible practitioner, not, not the business owner, not the guy that's on the podcast or conducting the business deals or crafting the partnerships or managing the staff, like tangible, you know, I'm in the company doing work. Where's your sweet spot? Like if you had to pick, right? If you had like a fully, a collective of other operation, you know, executives with with you, you guys were a collective, where would you personally sit? I'm not sure I quite follow. Could you kind of explain a little bit more? Yeah, I can explain it. So yeah, I'll keep it simple because I kind of rambled there. What area of all the different things you just listed off, where would you say your sweet spot is? Like the thing that makes you the most happy? Like for me, 
when I think about employee experience and, and HR and, and people operations, there are certain aspects that I genuinely love the most, right? Like I really, really love sitting down with an employee and, and, and creating a career mapping initiative. Or I really love sitting down with the CEO and forcing that individual with my words and with my, with my change management expertise and getting them to understand uh, how to put together a career mapping initiative, even in the early stages. Um, Right. So that's an example, right? Like what area of all the buckets you just listed, do you just think you just genuinely love more than others? Okay. Yeah. I think there's a couple of them. One, I, I really enjoy working with the CEO on strategic vision and road mapping for the company, whether that's on a product or service basis, whether that's making sure they understand they need to hire uh, four or five individuals across different departments um, but I also really, really enjoy and can spend hours getting lost in the finances. So managing the bookkeeping, uh, inflows and outflows, revenue expenses, putting together reports so that we can understand what decisions, decisions need to be made. And I, so I think, you know, working with the leadership and diving into finances is probably my preferred sweet spot. Let's walk down the finance for a second, because that's an area that I... You know, I've had the luxury of every company I've ever started. I've had the luxury of always having someone like you next to me. Um, and 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 frankly, I actually, and this is probably not a good thing. I've actually never taken a lot of legitimate time to educate myself. So give us the, give us the high level and maybe jump down into a couple of other areas. When you say finance, what are some important things that you see founders just completely missing the mark on that they really need to take more seriously? And and this is a question that I've heard. Like, is there a difference between being an offensive kind of CFO and a defensive, meaning you're very excited and, and ambitious to like reallocate funds in certain areas and there versus there's like defensive C, CFOs where they're very, they're, they're, they're always navigating the organization and trying to extract cash and be a little bit more uh, preserved. What are your thoughts on those things? Yeah, I, I think that overall, you know, the old phrase, yeah, there's an old phrase saying defense wins championships. So when you look at some of the younger companies in that first couple of years, you're going to be more of a defensive mindset and because you're, things are going to change. Um, deals are going to come in, deals will be lost. So I think the first couple of things that, that people really miss is one, when you develop your product or service, let's talk about the numbers itself. What's your margins? How much does it cost to put together? I mean, these are all basic, basic things, but if you don't really understand it from a holistic perspective, then you're just going to toss out numbers that you think make sense. Or maybe you're going to get a, a few data points out of your customer discovery and you're going to quickly say, okay, this is going to be $9.99 a month and we're a SaaS company or we have a product company, we're going to sell it for $50.00 you really need to understand some of the, the nuances behind the numbers and why they fit where they do. And that will help you lead into the larger picture of revenue expenses of what can we afford? What can we uh, allocate money towards? Um, do we need an office? Should we be remote? Uh, do I need to hire uh, more salespeople? Uh, what's our inbound strategy in terms of marketing? And it really comes down to the, the product or service back to finances. And then from that point, you can really allocate as many dollars as you want uh, to each individual department. And so when you say in the early stages, 
companies are typically defensive. Do you recommend that? There's too much instability there. So I, I would because you're still trying to figure things out as a team. Um, unless you're all 20-year veterans of building companies and everybody knows where they sit and everybody knows their responsibilities, which is very rare. I would say in the first couple months, uh, even if you want to be offensive, let things come to you and deal with them as, as they appear. Hmm. And then when does it shift towards being more offensive? Like, give me a tangible example of what would need to be in place where you would recommend a founder start to be a little bit more offensive and, and allocate significant funds into, let's say, let's say, you know, staff or, or marketing. I think it comes down to establishing your policies and procedures as a company of if X happens, then what do we do? You know, if X, then Y, if X or then Z, however you want to phrase it, once you are able to get some predictability in your operations from a business perspective in terms of sales, in terms of just cash flow, at that point, you can flip the switch and say, okay, based off of our past history of the last six months, a year, two years, here's our projections for the next six months to a year. And here's where we can really get creative and really step on the gas. Hmm. What are your thoughts on partnerships? What are your thoughts on like integrated partnerships um, and how that can, how that impacts finances a little bit? Like how, how does that impact margins? You know, and, and I'm asking because, you know, in, in my entire career running organizations, I've, the only way I've ever gone about expanding sales or, or going to market has been through integrated partnerships. And I, and I never really took the time, frankly, to, to think about if that's good or bad when it comes to the finances. I, I, my gut tells me just knowing enough about business that I probably have saved a lot of cash. And I'll give you a couple of examples. I've, I've probably saved a lot of cash on, on staff that I would need to hire internally because I've made the right strategic partnerships. I probably saved a lot of cash on external marketing initiatives, influencer marketing, ad spend, because again, I've built out the right connector relationship where I've gotten a significant amount of introductions or I've, um, or I've navigated the PR waters where like I'll make a strategic relationship with a with an editor and then you know we're off to the races. And so am I, is that, a, is that the right thinking? Do you recommend more start? Cause I always do. Now I just want to make sure from a CFO's perspective, I'm not recommending the wrong things. Do you recommend more startups when they're in that defensive mindset to play the offense around partnerships and, and to really push the gas on that to save cash? So let me ask you this, is the partnerships in line for more sales or the partnerships in line for more back of the house tasks or things that just need done? Both. Because I think that if you go toward, towards the sales aspect, it's, it's, it can be a home run in the sense that, you, yes, you're saving cash. Um, you need to understand what's your margins and how you're divvying up some of the inbound cash flow with that partner. Um, if you're going towards just back of the house operations, um, you need to understand where and how people are saving you time and money because, mm. you know, if you're going, for instance, if you're hiring a, a software developer and you're, you decide to go the freelance route, or you decide to hire a small con, uh, a small firm to do it in that sense, it gets pretty expensive very quickly. Mm -hmm. and you can burn a lot of cash and you can burn, um, you can overextend yourself and it takes way too long. 
and that's when things get dicey. But if you're looking at, you know, something as something like public relations and you just need media spots, or maybe you need, you hired a designer or a design firm to do uh, a website. I think that's fine. I don't think you go to that well all the time. Um, but, but you can kind of dabble here and there depending on uh, the financial status of your company. Uh, but then also when you come to, when it comes to sales, that's the easiest, I shouldn't say easiest. It's the more direct way to really expand and grow sales. Uh, especially if you have a long, uh, uh, customer lifetime value where they're going to come back time and time again. Mm. Yeah. It's something that I've always recommended. And, and frankly, that I've done is because a lot of the companies that I've started Number one, and I told you this, I come from really humble beginnings. And so I've always had to start companies with zero or very little budget and then just reallocate funds and just grow that way. Um, and so that's where the, 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 the bug kind of bit me. Like when I made my first partnership with, with Under Armour, now it would be about 11 years ago. That's when it kind of was like, huh, that's interesting. Like PR can and get increased marketing. That's interesting. Like you know, talent inbound can happen through that. Like, that's interesting. Like I have people here that, that want to work and want to build out real value for the company, but I don't have to give them any allocations of funds up front just because of this one move. Huh. That's, that's, that's intriguing. And I didn't have to spend anything up front. And so I guess I've always, I've always advised startup founders. I, actually, let me, let me rearrange it this way as a question and a statement. I've always advised startup founders when they're thinking about uh, raising funds to consider the partnership route instead. Is that a bad piece of advice? I'm, I'm comfortable with you like saying, don't ever say that again. No, I think that's excellent advice because I've been on both sides of the table as a founder and somebody that has worked in venture capital. And the reality is I tell people, don't raise until you absolutely have to. Um, if you can do it through pre-sales, if you can do it through regular sales, if you can do it through partnerships, um, go that route first. Because when you finally accept angel money or more traditional funds, the clock's ticking and five to seven or maybe 10 years later, uh, they're gonna, the phone's going to ring and it's going to be time to, to, to meet, meet your obligations. And hopefully you can do that and, or maybe you can't, but um, it, it comes with its own cobwebs. And I would say just hold off as long as possible. Speaking of partnerships, right. And since that's when I, and I told you this when I first met you, like, Hey, John, you know, I want to bring you onto the podcast here. I want to get to know you a bit. I want to, you know, be a friend a little bit here. And then, and then about what I would love to do is I'd love to set another meeting and really, really get into the, the nuts of the bolts and let's really figure out how we can help each other. Um, so let me ask you this, not me personally at this moment, but just overall um, for anyone listening or that may be listening at some point, you know, what are some strategic partnerships that, that maybe I can help you think through or that you personally know already because you've already done the homework and thought through them? Like, what are some strategic partnerships that make sense for you right now? What are some, what are some ways that you were trying to grow your brand and, and, and how partnerships can, can expand and speed up that process? that you may yeah. be looking for. So one of the things that comes to mind after a five-year run running my own media company, I shut that down in December of 2020. And these days I'm poking around at building a community around operations. 
and perhaps this is an exclusive for your listeners, but I've actually started a test brand called Atlantic Arrow. And right now I'm thinking of what kind of partnerships that I need or that I can use to quickly grow that community and get it up to a point where it starts to have a, a depth to it. And it also brings in enough capital where it can sustain itself in the long term. Um, so right now I'm still in the middle of what I like to call the second phase of customer discovery. And what I mean by that is that the first phase is your close uh, family, friends, business uh, connections. The second phase often, often goes beyond that. So you're looking at uh, feedback of 30 to 50 folks. And then the final phase is 150 to 200 points of feedback. So I'm in the second phase of that, but for, in terms of partnerships, that's kind of what's on my mind right now. Let's play it out, man. Let's let's think. Let's think in real time. Give give me give me what you got so far. What you've been thinking, and then I'll try to give me some context that I'll obviously be able to give you some accurate feedback or tips or perspectives, and then tell me what you've thought through already. I think overall, just from a marketing perspective and a brand awareness perspective, I'm looking to really hit the gas on this. In terms of the back end operations, I've I have some partnerships in mind. Uh, that help with either payment processing or uh, setting up meetings or forums. So that's kind of taking care of itself, mm -hmm. but just in a brand awareness and a brand expansion, uh, strictly for marketing, uh, I'm open and, to ideas and, and thoughts. And what type of folks do you want to, to, to have within the, uh, what type of folks are we talking? Anyone, anyone in all, anyone that's touching the word of operations internally, externally, what do we, what are we talking here? What's the, what's the mission of the community? So the idea is to really spread and share knowledge around the field because each person usually has a nuance to their, their industry. So the target really here is anyone from coordinators to COOs in uh, startups or small businesses that have up to $10 million in annual revenue and really just bringing together those folks to share strategies, share models, um, do one-on-ones, just be a, a larger community of just knowledge sharing. And you want them to knowledge share with each other and just bring value to each other? Or do you want an external, like, or do you want founders, um, um, heads of people that I think actually should have an interesting relationship with operations, which I'm gonna ask you in a moment. Um, you know, marketing, like, do you want external folks that want to learn or hear from operation folks to be invested in learning and, 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 and idea sharing? Or do you want to just be a community of all operation folks, idea sharing back and forth and just creating a, a big storm of, of knowledge sharing? I think I'm open to both. The, the intention is to go with the latter, but if there are other people who want to jump into the, the boat and learn as much as possible, uh, I'm more than willing to, to welcome them in. Okay. And then what's been, uh, what's been your first plan so far of how you want to cultivate this community? Like, what do you, what do you have so far? So I don't repeat anything. Yeah. So like I said before, the first realm of it was to just to validate if this was a good idea or not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did the email, personal emails to some of my network. The next phase of it would be a customer survey and discovery through LinkedIn, that I'm hoping to get anywhere from 30 to 40 responses. And then from there, 
I'll take those responses and that the contact information translate those into either one-on-ones or maybe a quick phone call, depending if the person is up for it and then just slowly grow it out that way. And then once that's done, probably do a couple uh, information blasts on, you know, yep. Hey, I'm launching this, um, you know, Atlantic arrow is live, come visit it and uh, kind of grow it that way. How much time do you have to do this? Like, what is there, are you, are you, have you put pressure on yourself from a time? But so, and, and this is what I mean, right? With, with all of my projects, when people like reschedule things or fall through, they're like, Oh, I'm so sorry. And I always joke around and say, but it's not a joke. I always say, I'm going to be doing this for 20 years. So I'll meet you at some point. Right. Like, and that's, and that's, I think the nuance, right? Like in the traditional startup world that you know, this when they raise venture, when they range, when they, when they raise, you know, angel funds, whatever the case is, there's always like this time bound, this crunch, this like time battery they put in their own back. For me, I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm going to do this for the next 20 years. So I'm going to meet you at some point. Are you kind of like on that perspective or is, or, or is there a little bit of an urgency play here for you? No, there's no urgency. And based off of my experiences and what I've seen, my intention is to own this 100%. Um, I love this this field. I, I always want to be in it. I want to learn from it. So from my perspective, I want to be at least doing this for the next 10 years. This isn't a flip. This isn't a uh, pump and dump. It's just, I want to be in this circle. I want to grow this circle. And I will be here for the foreseeable future. Mm. All right. So I got an idea for you. And I think you already know which way I'm going to go with it, but I'm going to give you some context around like the, 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 the structure of it. Um, actually, I'll ask you the question because I'm not educated enough to give this big, bold statement because I was going to give a big, bold statement. With the work that I do within Startup VX, what I realized is that... Um, the work that I'm doing with Startup BX and the work that I'm doing with Project 2030, what I realized is that I, I created those brands within niches. And so I'll give you an example in Project 2030. I'm creating uh, the, 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 the industry that I think, and I've done some really deep research, the industry, the HR world first ever um, A to Z career mapping process of how you go from a generalist to a head of people. The head of people role is hot right now, John, it's really, really, really hot. And a lot of folks fall into that role, but I've been speaking at about 15 major universities and I'm realizing that a lot of these kids want to actually be ahead of people. And then there's a lot of like seven, eight, nine year generalist or individual contributors in the people operations space that have no freaking clue of how to fall into the HR head of people, executive seat at the table role. And so I think there can be a career mapping plan and strategy to follow that. So that's like a very tight world, right? In Startup EX, I want to be the place you go if you need to figure out how to how to write out a job description and, and, and hire someone for your ahead of people at the startup level only, or if you want to work on strategic employee experience at the startup level only. That's it, not any other ranges. What I think would be interesting, and this is a question now, could that be done in the operation space? Is there a group, an alliance, a network, an initiative, a conversation where if you want to understand how to be a better operations executive within a startup only, let's say early stage, let's say mid-stage, like you even gave me some numbers. You said zero to 10 million 
you know, let's call it 30 to 100 employees. Like, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do. Here's some tactics and tools. Here's a community for this world only. Is there anything like that in the market? I'd have to do more research, but from a gut check, I'd say no. And, and, and do you, do you like, or before I even go deeper, because I want to make sure you like this, do you like, I've been so fascinated as of late going down these rabbit holes. I've really like, I used to be the guy that I'm everything for everybody. And as I've started to get more and more into business, I really like nestling myself in these rabbit holes, John, do you like that as well? Is that an interesting perspective for you? I do. And I, I think it can work if I'm kind of leading the witness here and, and trying to figure out where you're going to go with this. I think that there's an opportunity where you can strategize and essentially build either a playbook or a choose your own adventure. Um, I don't want to call it white paper because that makes it sound boring, but exactly. I know what you're saying. There, there's an opportunity to really kind of reveal of, Oh, if you want to end up in this role or in this position in this field, here's your options and here's how you could potentially do it. And then just kind of lay it all out. Yep. Or if you already are an operations executive or player in inside of a startup only, here's a community that you go to learn more insights because you're probably, and that's not always true. And then that's why I would even jump down to another level. Like where do you think your sweet spot is early to mid stage? Yes. Right. And so typically early to mid stage, and you know this better than I do, they typically don't have the funds to bring in a freaking rock star, do they? No, they do not. Right. And so a lot of those folks are either fractional like yourself or in a lot of cases, and you know this, they are young, smart folks that are just trying to figure it out. Right. They've been thrown into that role. They've raised their hand and elected to be what that role because they're one of their initial founders. Right. So it could be you, you want to be in this space or it could be, hey, I am you know, the COO of this, you know, early stage startup. I don't know what I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just trying to do whatever here. I need to be part of a community where I just get educated and I can literally lean back and, 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 and lean back. Yeah. Lean back with my network, lean back my relationships and ask questions and have, and have a bat phone ready when I, when I have problems. Right. Um, so, so here's the tip though, from the branding piece, right. And you probably already know I'm going to go with this. I believe that if you were to reach, you can find it. They're out there on LinkedIn. You can find the COOs of any early stage and mid-stage startup. There's, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands probably. I would reach out to each and every one and I would start a podcast if I were you. And I would bring them onto the podcast. And the structure of that episode would be literally about giving them a platform to say what they know, what they're doing, what they're experiencing. I would not frame it where you're giving them a lot of advice in that exact moment, unless you find the opportunity to do so. But I would just use that as a moment to just unpack what they've been doing, what they've been seeing, what they've been experiencing. But the caveat is this, when they do that intro call, remember what I asked you, John? At the very end of the call, I would say, I would love to bring you into the podcast, but there's one small caveat. I'm building a big community here and I'm looking for anyone that right now in their life are interested and excited about expanding their network. And here's why. At times, you may not be interested and excited about expanding your network. I know it's an odd question, but it's the reality. Because what that does, John, is it creates that intentionality that we talked about in the beginning of this episode. I believe you repeat that, bro, for like 
50 or 60 episodes. That's why I said, how much time do you have? Because now you're sitting on a base of 50 or 60 of the exact folks you want to have and they're strangers. They're not friends, they're not colleagues, they're strangers that don't know you and you make it very clear. Now you have their email, you have their phone number, you have a bit of context, you have a bit of a relationship. And then when you go to roll out the entire thing, now you're sitting on a small base that already knows you, that already knows what your goal is. And then you can also use that as an opportunity to kind of have them feed you more ideas and information. And on top of that already, you make it a requirement for, for them to share it, which they're going to do anyway, but you'd be surprised how you have to remind people to do that. And now you naturally grow the base organically that way as well. Um, is that odd or interesting or a horrible framework or I just think that that would be it would do wonders for you in my opinion no I agree and never mind the fact that once you have that base and once you have those 50 to 60 conversations you're start going to start to see patterns that'll mm -hmm. sort itself out so you'll know that maybe the top two to three problems these individuals have maybe you can even uh, dive a little bit deeper and saying okay Here's the two to three problems in software versus the two to three problems exactly. in your goods, right? It, it will vary and you'll have all this deep insight where you can just turn it around and use it to your advantage. Exactly. And I know this is a hot, hot thing right now, but I still would recommend it because I'm doing this with Project 2030. Um, are you familiar with Lambda School? I am. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of startups right now trying to create the boot camp or trying to create the land, the school for this. Um, I don't think that run and I don't think that hot moment is over yet. I don't think it's I don't think I think there's opportunity there. And you even said it in the beginning of this, what I think it could turn into potentially is it could turn into um, a network to get educated. If you are currently a CEO, COO inside of an organization or it could turn into a Lambda school type atmosphere for not only the younger generation, but even some people that, again, like in my like in my HR example, people that have been doing it for three, four, five years that maybe are interested of being inside of the COO space in the startup space. And like you said, you can break it off into sections, being a CEO for a SaaS company, being a COO for a direct, you know, direct to consumer company, being a CEO for a you know, whatever, right? So you could break it off into different categories within the within the early stage and mid-stage startup market. And then what you probably could do, and this is me getting really down the road, you probably could start to think about a recruiting model where now you can have a situation where you and I already have a colleague that I can maybe make an introduction to. You can look at his platform. You might be able to create like a self-serve model where there now you have a deep network of like collective members, kind of like I have, aka like content and educational partners, where they can sit as your, your content and, educa and educators you guys can put together like a curriculum that people can follow and subscribe to. And those companies, those great startups out there that are looking for a great COO, they can go to your community and start picking out and you can charge them a VIG to have access to great COOs that have learned and that have understood very impactful information because you and I both know a lot of COOs in the early stage and mid-stage world are just falling into this space and they don't really understand what the hell they're really talking about because the companies don't have the cash to hire a rock star. Um, right. And now you have a pool of rock stars because you've educated them a bit. They've been in the community. They've been a part of your cohort and you've, uh, you've got them up to speed a little bit. Um, is that crazy? No, not at all.
was that a where did that land for you gut wise i know i that's how my i know i took it off into a visionary moment but i and because i know right now you're very much at like a maybe b and i took it to z but that's just kind of how i potentially could see this playing out for you no i, I agree in the sense that you know looking at five to ten steps ahead this is exactly how it could play out and I've, it's kind of funny how when you think about jobs and you think about opportunities despite how connected we are on various platforms is hiring people is still a mess and if you can mm -hmm. solve that problem of okay company xyz we vetted these 15 20 uh, professionals for you so you're probably going to get hit a hit quicker than if you just go to either LinkedIn or Indeed or any of the other job platforms. So you're, you're speaking to the choir here and uh, I'm on board. 100%. Well, I'm, I'm here for you as a, as a resource, as a thought partner. Um, and again, like I said, I, I want to, I want to try to build out a real relationship with you and, 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 and whether it's, well, I guess this is my last question. I was going to say whether it's this, which I'm about to ask you here, actually, just so that I can take this context and lead it into hopefully which is our next meeting where we're just kind of shooting the shit and really just trying to figure out how we can really help each other how do you see the relationship between a coo and a head of people or a coo and people operations or employee experience or hr what what are the intersections that you see well, if you it, see any at all no there are I, I really think it comes down to what are the greater expansion plans of the company itself so mm -hmm. whether you want to have a 10 to 15 person sustainable business for the next 25 years, or if you want to go out and build the biggest tech company or biggest product company that you can, it's really understanding between those two aspects of how fast do we need to grow? Who do we need to bring on board and how do we do it? Um, obviously there's not going to be a huge financial component to it uh, beyond the, what can we afford? conversation, but from a people operation standpoint, the COO and the, the head of people really need to be in sync of what's the next 6, 12, 18 months look like? What are our plans for the expansion of this company? And what do we need to do uh, both from an individual standpoint and a team perspective to, to make that happen? So I'll leave you with the cliffhanger and this will take us to hopefully our next meeting. What I think could happen between you and I is, is the following. Um, there, there, there are mergers there, right? There, there definitely is overlap. You know, me and Naya, my former CEO, when I was in house, me, you know, we, we were best friends. We worked together. We were, we were best friends literally, but we were best friends within the, within the organization because we played off each other so well. There were so many key aspects of the work that, that were, that were intertwined that we needed to really collaborate on. Um, I think, and this is a cliffhanger, obviously, we, we don't have time to unpack this now, but I think it would be really interesting if me, me and you were to find a way, whether it's an isolated service, whether it's going into a project together, I think there's an interesting conversation that could be had in a consulting format, whether it's a workshop, whether it's a four to six week experience, um, whether it's just an ad hoc, consistent advising relationship with the startup, with, with, a, with, a, with a price tag connected to it. I think there's a world where, uh, you know, with the we're a company and, and me and, and my seven other folks behind me, I think there's an uh, uh, inter, intertwined kind of relationship and a, and a very tactical outcome-driven relationship that could be had at the startup where we're both tackling 
the same issue from different lenses and different aspects and different and different components where uh, where the the startup gets a lot of value. Um, so that's just one idea of many that I had that I really think could could potentially work well for us. I'm happy to iron out or discuss anything that you see fit. And um, the the worst the worst thing that could happen is we iron it out, we talk about it, and it doesn't work. But uh, I don't think that would be the case. No, I don't think so either. I think again, um, my network is growing, my my client base is growing, your network uh, is growing, your client base is growing, and so whether it's a whether it's a deal on your side, whether it's a deal on my side, I think the you know for me, I always think about customer, right? What can I, what can, cause I, I remove ego. What value can I bring to the customer? So whether it's a, a, a value on my side where my margins get cut a little bit cause I'm bringing you in on the deal, but the, the customer gets a lot more value. That's all I'm focusing on, right? Cause for me, it's like, I know if we do a great job, the employees are gonna get impacted significantly in a great way. The founders will get impacted significantly in a great way. And that's just my focus. So, um, I appreciate that, man. Let us uh, let us get out of here. Share any any handles, any social media, any any last words, any thoughts, any perspectives. Let us know where we can find you, and 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 uh, we'll we'll get you out of here. Yeah. So, if anybody would like to have a conversation or, or just nerd out over operations, uh, you'd probably best find me on LinkedIn. So just look up my first and last name. Um, I would also say that now that I've launched. I should say soft launch this, this new experiment, you can go to atlanticarrow.com and sign up there. Or you can just, um, I, I, I am on Twitter, but I don't use it a whole lot. I think there's a toxicity there that I try to avoid, but mm. uh, I'm on there as well. It's just uh, my, uh, my handle is my first two initials, my last name, JP Quail, and you can find me there as well. So if you want to get in touch, please do. And uh, happy to kick off any conversation that uh, is interesting. And potentially, potentially, I'm not going to you know, hold you to it, but and potentially you look out for the podcast within your company as well. Exactly. <laughs> All right, John, I, I really appreciate this, brother. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks.